0: So we're well on our way into this series we've called Better or Bitter. And partly the reason why we chose this was because we're all, we're all facing a moment in history. We're all going through this moment, this COVID moment, that has the potential to make us better or bitter. We, uh, we're all in this together, globally, and yet we are feeling more isolated and alone than ever before. It's been going on for over a year. And just like most things in life, each one of us are affected differently because we are wonderfully and fearfully made as individuals. But there are certain ways of thinking and feeling and understanding that we share in common. We have this pandemic in common. However, it affects us all differently. we, face, uh, we have other situations in life that we're dealing with or that we have dealt with or that we will deal with, and we live in a broken world, so we bump up against things that are difficult, difficult circumstances, difficult relationships, differing opinions, tough situations, all kinds of things that affect how we uh, how we think and and how we feel and they we have uh, from minor inconvenience, we, we think of things as, a, as just a minor inconvenience, all the way to on the other end of the spectrum, I don't know how I can survive this, and everywhere in between. So we're all somewhere on this spectrum of things that we're dealing with. Jonah is, is facing a I don't know how I can survive scenario in chapter four here. In chapter three, he preached a cryptic message, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. And as the words were barely out of his mouth, and the, the city turned, like they, they turned away from their the way they were living. The king issued a decree, they put on burlap, they fasted, they they turned away from their evil ways, and God relented. God did not overthrow them, he didn't destroy them. And so with this kind of response to Jonah's message, he should have been ecstatic. I mean, if even one person responded, he should have been delighted, but 120,000 people. And yet his reaction was the opposite. Verse uh, one in Jonah four says that he was angry because what God had done seemed wrong to him. And he explains to God that he's so angry he wants to die. Now, remember that in chapter one, God called Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. And he got up, but he ran the other way. And God pursued him, but he went, he tried to book a ship to the, to the farthest place he could get away in the opposite direction of Nineveh, to Tarshish. But God pursued him. He sent a whale, he sent a wind. The whale saved him, or the, the fish uh, saved him. And, and then Jonah, he finally committed to obeying God, and he went and did it. And now in verse two, he tells God, the whole reason I fled back in chapter one because you are a compassionate, gracious God. You're slow to anger, you're abounding in love, and you're a God who relents from send, sending calamity. And this is so interesting, because like we saw last week, many people today are, don't like God because he's a God of judgment. They see him as a God of judgment and a God of justice. This God of the Old Testament is always judging people. And yet, it wasn't his inclination, it wasn't God's inclination towards judgment that Jonah didn't like. It was his gracious and compassionate slowness to anger and abounding love. That was what was upsetting to Jonah about God. Jonah's actually quoting two verses from Exodus that are the most quoted verses in the Old Testament. The Old Testament writers quoted these verses from Exodus more than any other. So Exodus began with Moses. He's, uh, he's, God's called Moses to lead the people out of slavery. The king of Egypt has sl- enslaved them, and God is, says, Moses, you're gonna be the one that I'm gonna use to, to lead them out. God delivers 10 plagues, these miraculous Plagues that show that God is God and Pharaoh's not. Finally, uh, the people are released. They go out. There's a whole lot more to this story. I'm just giving you a quick overview to get to Exodus 34, where these verses are. So read Exodus, it's really cool. But, anyways, God leads these newly liberated people across the Red Sea on dry land to, the, to Mount Sinai. And this is where he establishes his covenant with these people his new people, so I will be your God, you will be my people, he lays out the the guidelines, the rules, the Ten Commandments, they say yes, we will do this. So then Moses goes up to the mountain with some tablets for God to write down the laws and regulations of this covenant relationship. While he's gone up there, he's set Aaron in charge, and the people are waiting. They don't know how long he's gonna be there. He ends up being there 40 days, but they don't know, so they're waiting and waiting, and 40 days seems like a long time. Where's this Moses guy? Aaron, can you make us some gods? And so Aaron, he collects their jewelry, he forms a calf, and they bow down, and they worship this idol. This is just days after they have committed to not having any other gods before God, not making any other idols so they've already broken the commandments that they just said we will be your people you will be our god this is our covenant relationship yes we will do all these things no we won't they 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 go and they worship this thing so god is not pleased and he has every right to judge these people and to destroy them and yet he decides to show compassion and mercy moses had dropped the tablets on his way down because he was angry too so he takes two more up the mountain He goes back up to have God rewrite the, the laws and regulations. When he gets up there, God meets him and he passes in front of him and this is what he says. Exodus 34, six to seven. He says, Lord, Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So these words are how God describes himself to Moses, to his new people, right at the beginning of the relationship. So the Israelite people, they know these words. They're repeated again and again. They they know who God is. He's a God. Yes, there is judgment language in there, but the force of the passage, what stands out is that he he is compassionate. He's gracious. He's loving. He's faithful, and he's slow to anger. So the Israelites, this is what they know about God. This is Jonah, Jonah knows that this is God's character. So when God told Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh, he wasn't thinking judgment. He was thinking, God, you're gonna bless these people because you're gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger. And, and all these things about God make him run the other way because he hates the Ninevites. He does not want them to have mercy and grace and compassion shown on them. In Jonah's mind, Jonah, it seems messed up. But we can see his perspective. We can understand his mindset, because in his mind, God wasn't gonna act the way he should. God was Israel's God. He made a covenant with Israel. He's for Israel. Like, we are your people, you're our God. These guys are against us, so you should be against them. It totally makes sense. But Jonah couldn't see past his own determination of what was right and wrong. And since God wasn't doing what he thought was right, he wasn't happy with God. God was not being God the way God should be God, to Jonah. And for someone who serves God, this is, if God is not being God the way God should be God, I, I'm at a I don't know how I can survive scenario. It's better off for me to be dead because how can I live in a world where God's not being God? I should be God, I'm not. I should be dead. Jonah was convinced that he was right and God was not. And since he knew he wasn't God, death was the best way. Now, at this point, if I were God, I'd be like, Jonah, <laughs> I've tried. You're not getting it. I'll give you what you want. Just but true to, his, to who he is, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, he doesn't give up on Jonah and he gets right to the core of the issue and he says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? As much as we can understand Jonah's perspective, we can also see God's perspective. We have a 10,000 foot view. We, we can zoom out of the forests. Jonah's stuck in these trees and he's like, "Ah, God, you're not doing my way because this is what I see. We can zoom out and we can see that God's got something better in mind than just destroying people who do bad things and we know that you know, if God went around doing that, Jonah would be the first to go because he was disobedient right away in chapter 1. Jonah would say, well, it's not about, you don't have to destroy all people that do bad things. It's just people that are against uh, Israel. And the Ninevites, they're against Israel, so you should destroy them because they're not your people. But what the thing is, Jonah has forgotten something really, really important. When God established the relationship with his people, it wasn't so that he would never bless anybody else it wasn't an exclusive relationship i'm only going to bless the israelite people you are the only people that are mine he wanted to bless all people israel was to be a blessing god was going to bless them so that they would be a blessing to others It's like he, they were the conduit through which god blesses all people he he loves all people he created all people and he wants to bless all people and that was the way he chose to do it So God's not on one side or the other. That's the wrong way of thinking. So a really cool couple verses that that point this out really clearly is Joshua 5, 13 to 14. Uh, The Israelites, they've just crossed the Jordan River and they're coming up against Jericho. They're in the the Promised Land, they're they're coming up against Jericho and this is what Joshua 5, 13 to 14 says. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? God's not on one side or the other. He's above sides. He's welcoming, inviting, asking us people to come to him because in him we find love, joy, peace, patience, all these things where we are all blessed. Joshua had the right response. He fell face down and said, okay, what does that mean? What do you want? Jonah, he was stuck in his own way of thinking. You have to be for us. A, he was unwilling to change his mind, even though he had miracle after miracle shown to him. He experienced all these miracles. So when God asks him, is it right for you to be angry, he, he again just runs. He has a habit of doing this. He just runs away. And he goes to a place east of the city to watch what happens. Now, as he goes, I wonder if he does recognize that, there's, that maybe he's wrong, uh, that, but he's just not able to admit it. I know that I have been in this situation before. I can't remember exactly when or exactly what, but I remember the feeling I had. I was really angry about something. It was probably something small, you know how that happens. But I was really angry about something. I was making sure Cheryl, my wife, knew about it. and She calmly, she was like, God, with Jonah here, she calmly said, why are you angry? (laughs) I knew she was right. There was a part of me that knew she was right, but I I wouldn't get over it. I, I just went away more angry. I wonder if this is kind of how Jonah is. Maybe he knows. I don't know. Doesn't tell us. I do know that uh, he still hopes that the people will stop uh, repenting because he goes to watch. It says he, he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's hoping. Maybe they'll stop repenting. They'll repent of their repentance, you know, turn back the, and start singing, and God will destroy them. And again, God is patiently pursuing Jonah and he begins a spiritual object lesson. Just like he provided the fish in chapter one to save his life, he provides a plant and this plant grows up and it provides more shade. The shade that he made, was, it just wasn't enough so the, the shade of the plant is, is something that makes Jonah happy for the first time. All the miracles, all the things that happened in Jonah's life for the first time He's happy, and a more literal translation of this would be that Jonah rejoiced over the vine with great rejoicing. I mean, he was ecstatic about this plant. He, stop and think about this for a minute. He had experienced a life-saving event in the belly of a fish. He had seen God use his message to make 120,000 people respond positively maybe not to Jonah but they responded to his message and the only time he's happy is with a plant and he's he's ecstatic about this plant and unbeknownst to him he's falling right into God's spiritual object lesson cuz God then provides a worm and it chews up the plant it dies and it withers and when the sun comes up again, it scorches Jonah. And just to make sure Jonah knows that God's trying to get his attention, he provides an east wind that's, even, that's hot as well. And, and usually the wind blew the other way, so, so God, Jonah knows God's trying to speak to him. And again, he admits that he'd rather die than face the truth. So God asks a second time, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah, he just won't give up. The obvious answer is that, no, he has no right. The plant grew up by itself. He didn't plant it, he didn't water it, he didn't cultivate it, he didn't do anything. It just grew up. He was able to enjoy its shade for a little bit. And it's basically God saying to him, what right do you have to demand that God shows favor on you and not the Ninevite people? Of course, Jonah continues in his bitterness and he won't admit that he's wrong. In his mind, God was not being fair to him. He was being more than fair to the Ninevite people. So he expresses that he wants to die. He'd rather die than face the truth. And that brings us to God's response and the end of the book. God explains that Jonah, you had compassion on this plant. You were super happy when it grew up. You were extremely angry when it died. You had compassion for this plant. Can't I, who created these people and loved these people, be compassionate for 120,000 people who are morally misguided and their animals? And then the story ends. So what happens to Jonah? Does he continue in his bitterness? Does he repent? We don't know. And that's not the point. The point is that this story is about us. The story of Jonah is a spotlight on the reader. You see, we look at Jonah and we think, man, you are so messed up. God provided you miracle after miracle. Can't you see those miracles going on around you? How could you be so emotional about a plant And miss that 120,000 souls have been saved. How could you not realize that God loves people and he longs to bless people and whoever he wants to? What the book of Jonah is doing, it's throwing the same question back at us. When God doesn't seem to be acting the way we think God should act, are we going to double down and refuse to admit that we might be wrong? Are we going to let bitterness take root because we trust ourselves to know what's right more than trusting God to know what's right? Like Jonah? When God doesn't seem to be acting like God should, who's wrong? We we look at Jonah and we recognize right away how limited his perspective is. But we are prone to the same way of thinking. We expect God to act in certain ways, and when he doesn't, we get angry. We refuse to acknowledge him. Some of us choose to just believe that he doesn't exist. And that's when we have a choice. We can run from him like Jonah, or we can run to him. We can run to Jesus. Amazing thing about Jesus is he allows God to be able to balance his grace and compassion on the one hand and his justice and judgment on the other. Because Jesus, he came and he lived the perfect life. Every opportunity he had to turn away, he limited himself to be completely human and completely God. So every time he, he had the opportunity to run away, he chose to trust his Father. Key example of that is when he's about to be betrayed, he's sweating drops of blood, he knows what's about to happen and he's asking God if there's any other way. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And God's, will, God's way was not great for Jesus in the short term because Jesus took God's full judgment for every wrongdoing that every person throughout the history of the world has ever committed. He poured that judgment onto Jesus, so Jesus he died with all those wrongs poured on him, in order to provide God's God's judgment and provide justice. He didn't ignore the wrongdoings of Nineveh, or Jonah, or anyone else. Justice has been served. Jonah thought that the Ninevites were going to get away with their wrongdoing. And, and yet he thought it was okay for him to get a wrong away without justice. But in Jesus, anyone who comes to him and repents, asks him for forgiveness and repents, they're shown grace and compassion because Jesus took the judgment that we deserve. Judgment has been done. Justice has been served. And Jesus did that so that God could give us grace, to give us compassion to anyone who turns to him. I don't know what God might be doing in your, in your life right now, in your heart. The story of Jonah teaches and reveals so much about who God is, what he's done, and what he continues to do and long to do in each of our hearts. It also reveals who we are, the kind of thinking we're prone to, and what we're invited into. We're invited into a relationship with the God of the, uh, Jonah one says the God of the, the earth and the sky and the water, something like that. He's the God of the entire universe. He longs to show us the same grace and compassion and love that he showed the sailors, that he showed Nineveh, that he showed Jonah so will you run away from him or you will you run to jesus bitter or better let's pray god thank you so much for jesus there are so many times when i do not feel like things are going right i feel like i could be god better than you do i confess that and I think we confess that. Help us to recognize that we don't have the full picture. We have limited understanding. We're like Jonah. We're stuck in a, in a way of thinking that's not right when we don't trust you. Help us to recognize that you are God, that you see the whole thing and you have a much better plan and your better plan revolves around Jesus, and we can know him, we can be in him. If there's anybody that needs to confess that Jesus is Lord and ask him to forgive them and repent, turn to you, give them work in their hearts. And for all of us who do know you, help us to continually recognize that you are God and we are not, and to trust you and to obey you. Thank you for the story of Jonah and for what it does in our hearts. Please help us not to just listen and understand, but to do, to, to let you do the work in our heart and the, give us the strength to do whatever it is that you want us to do with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.